Good morning again, TBC Saints. Good. If you have your Bible, please open it to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, we will be looking at verses 13 through 21. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. I found a interesting quote online this week and it says for every complicated question there's always a simple answer and it's always wrong for every complicated question there's always a simple answer and it's always wrong questions about faith are complicated questions complicated questions they're complicated because they're there are many kinds of faiths in the world. Many faiths in the world. There's Christianity, there's Islam, Judaism, atheism, Hinduism, Buddhism, humanism, and a whole bunch of other isms. Even witchcraft is a faith that's growing in America right now amongst white and black millennials. Did you even know that? So people have faith options in this world. Definitely in America. And these options are complicated because which faith is right? Which one is telling the truth? Are all these faiths basically the same thing? Going to the same place? You see, people run to various faiths because that faith is meeting some felt need. Need of community need of love, acceptance, need to be heard, need to have peace of mind. But, but there's only one faith that meets the greatest need of humanity, and that's the Christian faith. I'm just going to just post that right there, okay? There is only one faith out of all the many faiths in the world that meets mankind's greatest need, and that is the Christian faith, period. And the Christian faith is not a man-centered faith. It didn't originate with humanity. It is a God-centered faith, a faith that originated with Yahweh Elohim. It's a faith where God reaches down to people in order to save them. It's not a faith where mankind reaches up to God in order to be saved. It's a faith that is a gift. It's not a prize that can be earned by performance. It's faith in a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. And people who trust in him as Lord and Savior can say with confidence that they have a faith. And if you have surrendered to your life to Jesus, then you can say, yes, I have a faith. I have a faith. And there are details about the Christian faith and, and details that can be acknowledged. That's what we've been working through these past several weeks, answering this question, do you have a faith? Christians have a faith that comes after new birth. They have a faith that continues to believe that Jesus is the Christ, a faith that obeys and overcomes, a faith that testifies. And today, Christians have a faith that's always forward and forward always. 
of faith that's always forward and forward always. Here's God's word to his beloved sons and daughters. First John chapter five, beginning in verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that, that, that does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to death. I did not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of your word, we are in constant need of you to help us have understanding of it. Without your power, without your work, without you moving, nothing happens. No one comes to faith in Christ apart from you, Holy Spirit. No one grows closer to Christ apart from you, Holy Spirit. None of us understand the word apart from you, Holy Spirit. Our helper, our counselor, the one who lives in us, move in us today, individually and corporately. And I pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. I started playing uh, football in the eighth grade, and I was instantly hooked. I was instantly in love. Football became my idol, my hobby. I played on it, played in ninth grade as well on the B team. I, I joined the varsity when I was in the on the tenth grade. And as a high school athlete, that there was one item I could not wait to get my hands on. That's the letterman's jacket. The letterman's jacket. It was like Joseph's robe to me in high school. I wore it with pride. That, see, that letterman's jacket is cool to wear in high school. Not so cool when you graduate. Not cool. Definitely not cool when you're in your 40s. Still wear your high school letterman's jacket. You see, that letterman's jacket, it can easily become an idol for people who were great athletes in high school, for people who still tell stories about the time they scored five touchdowns in that one game, for people whose athletic ability never got them that collegiate scholarship. See, that jacket and those trophies, they, they represent who that person used to be. They represent who they could have been if life was different. And such people have a tendency to live life in the rearview mirror. They live life backwards. And the same can be said of Christians. They can treat their faith like a letterman's jacket. 
sharing stories about how they used to be sold out for Jesus. I used to love Jesus. I, I used to be an AACJ, an all-American Christian for Jesus. Yeah, I used to volunteer at Lincoln Village Ministries. I used to go on short-term mission trips. I used to lead Bible studies. My walk with Jesus isn't what it used to be. I remember that time when I used to have hour-long quiet times, and, and I used to go to Bible study fellowship, and, and I used to do all these things. I used to share my faith all the time. I remember when I used to be a good Christian. I remember when I used to sing in the choir. Oh, happy day. Oh, little light of mine. You see, Christians who think like that, they see their faith in the rearview mirror. Living their faith backwards. And living your faith backwards is not a spiritual gift. It's not a spiritual gift. You see, Christians, we have a faith that's always forward and forward always. Not one that's looking in the past and looking backwards. We have a faith that fits our eyes on what lies ahead, not what lies behind us. And a faith that's always forward and forward always, it continues to know something. It continues to know something with confidence. And it's what Hebrews 1.11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. A faith that's always forward and forward always has confidence, assurance, and conviction. Look at verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. The book of 1 John isn't a book about how people come to faith. It's not about how people are born again. He writes each chapter in this book to people who already believe in Jesus Christ to Christians, to the church, to those who are born again, to the saved, to you, if you know Jesus this morning. And what's his purpose? His whole purpose in this whole book is this, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants his readers to to continue to know that they have this in Christ. You see, a faith that's always forward and forward always continues to know this truth, that you have eternal life. You can know this with assurance, with confidence, with conviction. And you can know that right now, at this moment. Do you know, if you are a believer, that you have eternal life? Do you know that? Can you say that with confidence, with conviction, with assurance? Yes, I have eternal life. Many Christians doubt their salvation. Okay. Many of them do, questioning whether or not God accepts them, wondering if the sinner's prayer actually worked. You know the sinner's prayer you pray, the prayer you pray, the prayer you pray when you receive Christ. And some Christians think, well, did it take? Did it actually work? Do I need to read those four spiritual laws again? They struggle with assurance of faith. And what about you this morning? Do you lack assurance of salvation? Have you ever doubted whether or not you're in the kingdom? Or you live in your faith backwards? So please know that, that there is hope. Christians don't 
have to walk in uncertainty of their salvation. You don't have to live in confusion about whether or not you're, you're standing right before God. You don't have to live in constant doubt about your salvation. You don't have to live your faith backwards. If you know Jesus is more than saving faith, then it's possible to know for certainty that you have eternal life. You don't have to be arrogant about it. You can be confident in it with assurance, with conviction. Remember John's purpose in this book. He's writing this book so that you may know that you have eternal life. He, he's helping his readers to establish their assurance, to build confidence, to build conviction, to know with certainty, to have a faith that's always forward and forward always. In chapter 2, verse 3, John says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. In verse 5 and 6 it says, By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides him ought to walk in the same way he walked. Do you see what he's doing? He's building assurance, building confidence. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. In verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also lay down our lives for the brothers. Verses 19 and 20, it says, By this we shall know that we are, are of the truth, and we assure our hearts before God. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. In verse 24b, he says, By this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit he has given us. Again, do you see what he's doing with these statements? He's wanting them to have assurance. Wanting them to have conviction. Wanting them to know that you are in Christ. You don't have to live in doubts. He goes on in chapter 4, verse two and three, he said, verses 2 and 3. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And in verse 6, he says, We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See, John is doing all these things, saying all these things. He does this in every chapter in this book to establish assurance, conviction, and confidence so that they may know that they have eternal life. Again, do you know for certainty that you have life, eternal life? Do you have assurance, confidence, and conviction? The Spirit's work in you allows you to know this with certainty. He does this. He enables us to, to live a life that's a faith that's always forward and forward always. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you're doubting your salvation, pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. This, this, this verse in Romans 8, that's, that's supernatural. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is the Holy Spirit ministering to your soul. So if, you, if you're one of those Christians that you doubt your salvation and you're struggling to believe whether or not you have everlasting life, ask the Spirit to minister to you, to help you to know 
for certainty that you have life. Call out to him. Will you call out to him? Don't look at your performance for your assurance. Don't look at your performance for your, for your assurance of faith or how good you are, your productivity. Because that's like waves in the sea. Ask the Spirit to help you. Go to Him. Don't go to your own performance. What do you think is the most common mental health disorder in our country? There's a question you can answer. Depression. Anxiety. Anxiety. It affects 40 million Americans from ages 18 and older. That's 20% of our population. And there are Christians in that 20% too. Some of you are in that 20%. Some of y'all battle major anxiety on a daily basis. Panic attacks, phobias, social anxiety disorder, fear of places and, and situations, excessive worry about events and activities. And here's the thing. Major anxieties can't be fixed by throwing Bible verses at it. Let me give that, let me give that Psalm 23 curveball to my anxiety. That, don't, that doesn't work. You can't medicate certain things just by listening to sermons or simply going to another Bible study or, or Beth Moore Bible study. It takes a holistic approach to deal with certain anxiety. Diet change, exercise, counseling, medication, relational support, sleep, rest, vacation. So if you're suffering from some major anxiety, go see the doctor. It's okay. Talk to a therapist. Let close friends and family know. Don't just throw Bible verses at it. Don't hide it. Be honest about it. And here's the thing. There is no shame. No judgment here. There's freedom in the village church for you to be honest about your anxieties. Because I have them. You all have them. So we all have those things. Now, on the other side, now there are certain things that we worry about as Christians because we just don't trust God. Okay. There are two types of anxiety. Those are ones that need to be medicated, and there are those that we have because we don't trust God. So I'm making a difference here. So the major ones, go to the doctor. The ones that are not major, we have because we don't trust God. We don't believe he's good. We don't, we don't believe he's able. We don't expect him to move. And if you're here this morning and, and, and that's you, then please know that God hasn't given his people a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, a faith that's always forward and always forward is also confident in God's faithful presence in the here and now. It's in the here and now. It holds true to the, to the words of Psalm 56, 9. This I know, God is for me. This I know, God is for me. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer describes God's presence in the lives, in, in, in our lives as an internal continuum, as an unbroken, forever flow, flowing. He, he asks his readers to think of themselves as standing by the bank of a, of a, of a river that's flowing. And he says, think of that river as, as God himself. Imagine yourself this, this morning standing in that river. 
your feet in that river. Go ahead, picture it in your mind. You're standing in this river. And listen to what Tozer says. He says, when we glance to our left, we see the river coming full out of our past. When we look to the right, we see it flowing into our future. But we also see that it's flowing through our present. And in our today, the river is the same as it was yesterday. Not less than, nor different than. But the very same river, one unbroken continuum, active and strong as it moves sovereignly into our tomorrow. That's God's presence in your life. An unbroken, unbroken flow, an unbroken faithful presence. But do you believe that? As believers, we can have confidence in God's faithful, unbroken presence in our life. In our life. Today, not in our past, not just in our uh, future, but right now, where you currently live, God is present there. And when we believe that, it changes the way we pray. We pray with persistence, with conviction, with expectation. All believers can have assurance knowing that when we pray, our Father hears us. Do you believe God hears you when you pray? Or do you think you got to blackmail him to hear you? What do you believe? Functionally, what do you believe? All y'all have, all y'all who have faith in Jesus, you have freedom to approach God. You can come before him without shame, without guilt, without fear. All believers have freedom of speech in their prayer life. Freedom of speech. What do you think about that? That you can go to God and talk with him about anything. If you're frustrated with him, tell him. I'm frustrated. If you're angry, God, I'm angry. If you don't understand what he's doing in your life, say, I don't understand what you're doing right now. Help me understand. Because this doesn't make any sense. He gives you freedom to be honest about what you're feeling inside. The freedom to be honest and, 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 and real and transparent before God in prayer is wonderful. <laughs> that you don't have to be afraid to go to your heavenly Father and just be real. Be real. Take off the mask and be real with him. One Christian writer says, David did not pretend in his prayers with God, playing games to avoid confronting the truth about life, about his circumstances, and about himself. He hid nothing from God. He viewed his life as an open book. David did not feel a need to sanitize his prayers. He brought to God the raw stuff of his heart. You have the freedom. To bring God the raw stuff of your heart. And knowing with confidence, he sees the depths of your heart. And guess what? He still loves you the same. Okay? He still loves you the same. So you have the freedom to bring him your fear, your pride, your frustrations, your self-righteousness, your doubts, your unbelief, your lust. Your life is an open book before your father. And your prayer is you just being honest about what's on the pages. Just be honest about what's on the pages. Prayer helps you have a faith 
that's always forward and forward always. That type of faith knows with confidence that God's presence is in their life, in your life, that you're never alone. I know sometimes you feel like you are. Definitely when you're going through certain trials and you see something, you wonder if God is there. Beloved, he's there. He is there. You are not alone. You are not alone. But John said there's a condition attached to this confidence in prayer. And this is like a guardrail or such. He says in verses 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The request that believers offer up to God should be according to his will and not our own will. Is it, and go, God isn't a vending machine. And our prayers isn't just quarters that we put in the vending machine and get whatever snack or treat that we want. He says yes to whatever is asked according to his will. You know, we live in a fast-paced, quick-service culture. We do. We want everything our way. Convenience and comfort are treasures that we seek. And our culture is filled with gimmicks and quick fix solutions to life problems. And at times, believers have a tendency to view prayer that way. It's a quick fix solution. But prayer is not a quick fix solution. Our God is not a microwave God. He doesn't always answer our prayer in five minutes or less. He moves and acts according to his own timing. And as one song said, he might not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time because he's an on-time God. Okay? Because prayer is really grassroots. It requires us to be patient and wait on our God to move. Because sometimes God is, is a turtle. I mean, he's just slow and steady. Next, we can't use prayer to trick God into moving either. And there are tongues of books and some Christian leaders who claim to have found some prayer hack, some secret formula that you can use to tap into God's blessings. Pray this way. Pray with this special prayer cloth. Prayer schemes that would trick God into blessing you. Prayer schemes will not trick God into moving. Like, if we had to trick God into blessing us, he ain't really good. Okay? If you got to trick him to move, he ain't a good father. <laughs> My kids don't have to trick me into being good to them and to providing for them. So why would, I, why would I have to trick God into providing and watching over me? So prayer as a scheme and prayer as a quick fit solution is you praying according to your own will, not God's will. Because Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to him. Trust him and he will act. If you're delighted in the Lord, committing your ways to him, trusting in him, then you can't help but to conform to his will. When you begin to conform to his will, something happens. Your heartbeat begins to be in rhythm with God's heartbeat. And when you pray, that your prayer life would be a reflection of that. And what you ask for in your prayer life would be a reflection of that. Our Father always answers the prayers that are according to his will. And one of those prayers is intercession. 
intercession. It's one way that believers can pray according to God's will. Intercessory prayer is believers pleading to God on behalf of other believers and their neighbors. It's loving others through our prayer life. Praying for the victims in California who have lost everything through the fires. That us praying for that can make a difference. Do we believe that? Do you really believe that? Faith is always forward and forward always intercedes for other people in prayer. Look at verses 17 and 18. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I, I, say, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. All believers have freedom, the freedom, privilege, and responsibility to intercede on behalf of other brothers and sisters in Christ, pleading for their deliverance, for their healing, for provision, for their continued battle with sin. John says, if you see your brother or sister committing a sin, what is your response when you see a Christian committing a sin? What is your reaction when you see a brother or sister falling short? Do you intercede or do you gossip? Do you intercede or do you slander? Do you intercede or do you share their business on social media? Do you intercede or do you shame them, guilt them, condemn them? Let us use our tongue to build up one another and not destroy fellow members of God's household. Let us use our tongue to love our neighbor and not wound them with our words. We can think before we speak. We can think before we tweet. We can think before we share and post on social media. See, it's easy to draw our attention to, you know, the sin not leading to death and the sin that leads to death. Listen, all Christians struggle with sin, period. We do. But it's not who we are. That's not who we are, but we still struggle with it. Sometimes heinous stuff. And we have to just accept that. We struggle with a repentant heart, not an unrepentant heart. A convicted heart, not a condemned heart. A sorrowful heart, but not a shameful heart. A free heart, not an enslaved heart. A new heart, not an old heart. And when you see your brother or sister fall short, don't rejoice. Don't say, I knew something wasn't right about them. See, I told you. I told you something wasn't right. Don't shake your head in disbelief. Don't distance yourself from them because we're good for that. As Christians, don't write them off. Yeah, hold them accountable, but hold a rope for them in prayer. Stand in the gap for them in prayer. And, that, and that's what you do. That's what you do as believers. We intercede for them before God, plead them with God on their behalf, ask Him to give them deliverance from their addictions, substance addictions, sexual addictions electronic addictions, video game addictions. Do you know how many Christian boys and men and women are addicted to pornography in the church? Do you know how, how big it is? A lot are. A lot of them are. But the church ain't safe to be honest about it. We have to intercede for them, advocate for them. As parents, 
police your kids, internet access. There are tons of young Christians who, who struggle with gender identity, sexual identity. They do. They are confused. And if you know some of them, don't beat them up and intercede for them. Because some of that stuff is just demonic and we need the Holy Spirit to move. This stuff is in the church. It's not outside the church. We are we have Christians who struggle with these things. And we can intercede for one another and not gossip about one another. Pray for deliverance. Walk with them. Don't shame or guilt them. Don't dehumanize them. Don't say, oh, bless their little heart, because that's condescending. Ask God to free your brother and sister from their anger, from their addictions, from their gluttony, from their covetedness, from their pride, from their racism or their classism. Heal their broken marriages and relationships. A faith that's always forward and forward always intercedes for other believers. Intercede for me. That's why I'm always asking you, how can I pray for you and your family? I'm not just checking off a box. I'm praying for you because I love you. Do the same for me. And we can intercede for one another with confidence and assurance and conviction. Do you, do you believe that when you pray for other people, are you expecting God to move? When you're praying for your friends and family members who don't know Jesus, are you expecting him to move so he can and able to call them to the kingdom? Do you believe that? When you bend your knee, that it is making a difference. That it is making a difference. I want you to think for a moment. Christians aren't the only Christians that pray, only people in the world that pray. Other, other people of other faiths pray. But we're the only ones who pray to a God that's listening. The only ones who are praying to a God that's listening. But do you believe that? Do you live that? We're the only ones. Intercede, expecting God to, to move on behalf of your brothers and sisters. Don't forget who our God is. Yahweh Elohim. God of the universe. And he's able. Don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't forget that our God is able and always willing. Verses 18 and 20 says, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's the confidence in Christ. All believers, not some of us, all believers have been set free from the power of sin over our life. In Christ, every believer has been set free over the power of sin in their life. Thank you. We are set free from it. It's no longer our master. It no longer owns us. And so in Christ, we can also overcome any sin that we're currently struggling with. 
He, we can overcome that. We can get free from that. There's always hope. People are not lost causes because of their struggles with sin. You are not the sins that you struggle with. And so there's freedom. You can get deliverance. So you don't have to walk around with your head down. You can walk around with confidence. Yeah, I fall short, but that's not who I am. That's not who I am. That's not how God sees me. Notice what, what, what John says here. He who was born of God protects him. doesn't say protected him, but protects him now. And that is Christ. That he's protecting you now. Not on the cross, but now. The life that you live now, he still protects you from the evil one. That's Jesus. Look at this table. Look at that table. It's a reminder that Jesus protects you. Look at it. It's a reminder that Jesus is your advocate. It's a reminder that he died for your sins and he was raised for your sins justification. It's a reminder that Jesus still intercedes for you at this very moment. He didn't stop interceding for you when he died. When he went into heaven, he's sitting right next to the Father at this moment. He is still interceding on your behalf. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's a reminder that your sins are no longer held against you. No longer held against you. No longer. It's a reminder that God is for you. It's a reminder that God loves you. How deep is the Father's love for us? How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure? How great is his love? It's great. It's great. This table is a reminder that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Amen.